This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. It's time for our regional roundup. Uh, let's start uh, with news across the causeway. Mm, yes, indeed. A record number of candidates contesting 82 seats wow. in the Sarawak state legislative election. Uh, I think this is something that will be closely watched. Why is it so hotly contested? Mm. Also, we've got to developments in Indonesia. It's cancelled planned restrictions. Uh, why has it done so? We're going to be finding out more about that as well. Mm, okay. On the line is Dr. O. A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Dr. O, good morning. How are you? Very good morning to all of you. Nice to join you again. Yeah, good to hear from you again. Uh, let's start off uh, with these uh, tighter COVID-19 restrictions, fears over the Omicron variant. You've got a record number of 349 candidates contesting 82 seats in Sarawak. Uh, this is the uh, legislative election that's happening. Uh, in fact, it kicked off on Monday. Uh, what can you tell us? I mean, are they allowed physical campaigning? Um, any opinion in terms of whether or not the election should have been delayed? Well, they do allow some forms of uh, physical campaigning to relax a little bit as compared to the Malacca state election mm. held about two weeks ago. Uh, but of course, now with all the Omicron and Delta variants, which you mentioned, of course, people, I think, uh, you know, out of their own volition, would try to avoid uh, physical, <laughs> physically touching each other, right? So I, I think uh, it will be a very tough campaign, to, especially for, for example, for the opposition, who uh, or which is uh, less, uh, shall we say, blessed with less uh, resources to campaign, especially in the remote interior uh, regions. But at stake, of course, is state government of uh, Sarawak. And uh, you, you see a lot of uh, independent candidates and also candidates from smaller parties uh, rushing to the nomination centre. That's why it has a record number of candidates here. Mm, What are the issues at play here? What exactly are they fighting on in terms of platforms and manifestos? Well, in in a sense, uh, it's uh, a validation or not of uh, the Chief Minister of Sarawak, the current one, namely uh, he has a very, uh, well, uh, he has a nickname, Abang Joe. It will be sort of a referendum of his performance over the last uh, five years. Uh, of course, in Sarawak, uh, developmental issues and socio-economic issues, access to clean water, to stable electricity supply and so on, those would always play uh, big roles in terms of uh, elections here. Mm. Uh, so Najib Razak and his legal team uh, had a hearing um, and they did it via Zoom, uh, a hearing in court that is. Their application for the postponement of the 1MDB proceedings were rejected by the Court of Appeal. Uh, why so and what's next? Well, uh, typically at the appellate level, uh, it is highly unusual to introduce uh, new evidence which would have been introduced at the trial stage Mm. and doing so at the 11th hour, literally days before uh, the verdict for the appeal uh, is to be announced. Indeed, uh, later today, we're expecting the verdict. But that is highly unusual. And I think that's why the uh, the appellate court decided against accepting those new evidence here. Mm. What can we expect in terms of what's next, the next steps and how this might unfold? 
Well, if the Najib's uh, conviction were to, uh, were to be uh, upheld, he is likely to appeal to the highest court on the land, namely federal court. If his uh, conviction is uh, reversed, then it's up to the Attorney General of Malaysia whether to uh, appeal such a reversal conviction. So I think uh, we are still looking at some stretches of appellate process. It just depends on how long it is, whether the appeal process would end before the next general election, whereby I think Najib is eager to run again as a candidate. Yeah. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Okay, let's turn our attention to the Foreign Minister, Datuk Safwadin Abdullah, uh, made a two-day official visit to China. This was on the invitation of uh, Chinese counterpart Wang Yi. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, let's talk about the purpose of this visit, its significance, and to what extent it could actually positively impact cooperation between the two countries, Dr. O. Well, it's to further cement uh, Malaysia's uh, already quite strong bilateral relations with uh, China. After all, for many years, uh, Malaysia is China's the largest trading partner in Southeast Asia. And China has, uh, well, as far as we can remember, almost always been Malaysia's largest uh, trading partner. Mm. So there are actually already a lot of sectors of cooperation. But uh, this time, I think they they, they emphasize on various, uh, shall we say, emerging sectors such as uh, cybersecurity, such as uh, digital commerce. I heard of uh, even the corporations to make some the films uh, regarding the Malaysia and China and so on. So granted, these are emerging sectors, but uh, of course, uh, they uh, would bring about hopefully promising futures in terms of deepening and broadening the bilateral relations here. Mm. Elsewhere, Dr. O, in Indonesia, we're seeing some developments. It's cancelled its planned restrictions for the year-end period as its uh, COVID-19 vaccination coverage and testing capacity have apparently improved. What do you think, Dr. O? Is there confidence warranted? Well, I think at this point, we just have to take the words of uh, the Indonesian uh, government, right? Because uh, we, frankly speaking, have no way to, to, to know. But of course, just like any other regional economy, the, uh, Indonesia is struggling to uh, balance between, you know, preventing the spread of the coronavirus on the one hand and the revival of its uh, social economy on the other hand. I think uh, all of us, uh, I mean, all the countries in the regions will indeed need to do similar juggling as to what uh, Indonesia is being, in a sense, forced to do now here. Mm, last, last dash, la. New Year's Eve in mm. Bali. Let's do it. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a great plan. Yeah, I, I hope so too. <laughs> Dr. O, uh, there was a partial pardon by the chief of the military junta. Uh, Myanmar's deposed state councillor Aung San Suu Kyi's jail sentence was reduced from four years to two years. What else can you tell us about these charges? And, I mean, this time around... Previously, it was like house arrest. Is she going to be in, in prison itself? Or what are we expecting here? Well, at this point, she is still somehow held. We don't actually know whether mm. she is uh, in prison or under uh, house arrest and, and so on. But, of course, uh, her so-called convictions are widely uh, condemned internationally, uh, not the least by the United Nations uh, agencies, right? 
So the, these are charges which are, well, I mean, these are words used by UN, in fact, Trump up, essentially, <laughs> saying, for example, it could be as flimsy as uh, she uh, violated some uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, restrictions yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so on. So I think the, the international community is eager to see she uh, to see her and her colleagues being freed as soon as possible, yeah. Mm, but there's really no substantive way in which they can intervene, right, the international community? Unfortunately, you know, the, the United Nations, they are made up of uh, different countries, and uh, many of these countries, at least at this point, are not eager to have the UN uh, uh, intervene forcefully in the Myanmar crisis, yeah. Mm. There's also the issue of the protesters. I mean, we have the UN calling for Myanmar to hold to account anyone using excessive force against unarmed civilians after security forces rammed the car into an anti-coup protesters, killing, what, five of them? Um, and, and on the back of your last comments, I mean, how are they going to even get involved here? Well, there was a fresh mob and then the Myanmarese military decided to, as you said, essentially crash a car Mm. into the crowd of uh, uh, unarmed uh, civilians. I mean, come on, this is horrendous. This is uh, just like those uh, terrorist activities we sometimes learn of uh, in in various uh, parts of the world, right? And this is... Uh, the, the supposedly the government of the country doing it to its uh, unarmed civilians. So that's why there's an outcry to, uh, from across the world against this. Yeah. Mm, but once again, uh, the ability of other nations to step in and intervene is limited, isn't it? How do you see it panning out then moving forward? I, I think as with uh, Myanmar's uh, situations over the last, well, at least half a century, it would indeed take years before uh, Myanmar uh, economic isolation, we have to force it to once again engage the international communities. They seem to have a, you know, a large, a high amount of resilience when it comes to uh, resisting international pressure. Yeah, uh, really quite a number of issues that we've been uh, paying attention to this week. Uh, and we really appreciate your insight. We've been speaking with Dr. O, a Sun Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Dr. O, you take care and stay safe, yeah? Thank you. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.